Those with a drive to go have an undeniable calling. They are not content to simply have a transformative idea. They want to create and build. They want to wrestle challenges to the ground and bring solutions to scale. They are makers and doers. They are go-getters. Go-Getters features straight-up conversations with leaders on the forefront of change who are taking action to impact our world, just as Lehigh people have done for more than 150 years. Join us as we explore their challenges, their passions, and what makes them go. Greetings, and welcome to another episode of the Go-Getters podcast. I'm Joe Buck, Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations, and our Go-Getter today is alumnus and President Joseph J. Helbley, Class of 1982. Joe comes to Lehigh from Dartmouth College, where he served as provost from 2018 to 2021. Prior to that, he was dean of Dartmouth Thayer School of Engineering. You may have heard Joe speak at his inauguration in October, met him at a reception or a virtual town hall, or seen one of his video updates. We're glad to offer this podcast as another chance to get to know him better. Joe, thanks for being here. Thank you, Joe. Great to be here. Lehigh is certainly very excited to welcome back an alumnus as a president. What's it like to be back? It's, uh, you know, I have to say a lot of people have been asking me that question, students, community members, and faculty, staff, and alumni, of course, and and it is absolutely wonderful to be back. Wonderful to be back to the place and at the place that played such an important and transformative role in, in my own life. The campus is as beautiful as I remember it. And to be clear, I had been visiting campus here and through here here and there through the years since the time I graduated. But the campus is as beautiful as I remember it. The hills are as challenging as I remember them. And the community is as close-knit and well-connected as I remember it. So it really is great to be back. And and when you were here as an undergraduate, what, what are some of the highlights or, or student experiences that, that have stuck with you um, so I was going to say so many years later. I didn't mean to imply so many, but let's say many years later. It's it's more than a few years. It's a, that's a that's a fair statement and a fair observation, Joe. My experience is academic, athletic, and and what I would call social or as part of the community all played an, an important role in just my development as an individual and certainly my development as a young professional. I mean, the, the academic element I remember so clearly, classes were challenging, right? Work was hard and I knew it would be and I wanted it to be, but it was hard. And in fact, there were moments during the first semester of my first year where I remember wondering if I was sufficiently prepared and if I had bitten off more than I could chew, if I was really in a position to succeed at a, at a place like Lehigh. But one of the things I found very quickly was faculty cared about the individual student. And I was able to talk with one of my professors about places where I thought I was having a little bit of a struggle and really helped me work through them. Uh, and I just remember that continuing throughout my four years here, just the academics being rigorous, challenging. I remember exams where the average grade was in the 20s. Um, that was certainly a character building exercise. We generally don't do that anymore. And I actually don't think it's a bad thing that there weren't exams or aren't exams with averages in the 20s anymore. But I remember that quite clearly. Athletically, I came here and I was a member of the cross-country team for my first two years uh, here as a student at Lehigh. And practices were challenging the same way academics were challenging. Long hours, I remember coming back just in time to get to Rathbone and get a meal before I'd go off and have many, many hours of homework ahead of me. And that pushed me um, as a runner and as an athlete in ways that certainly hadn't happened in high school. 
and then just being part of the community. And socially, I, I ended up becoming a good friend of my or with my Griffin and becoming a Griffin myself. And those relationships throughout my time here with other Griffins, with the students who had been on my floor, with my freshman floor mates, those social connections have been an important part. Those friendships an important part of my life. Joe, I've heard you speak several times about community, and I, and you just mentioned it as well. And what have you found uh, as it relates to the Lehigh community today? What have you done to engage with the Lehigh community today? And uh, um, what are some ways you hope to continue to build community? So it's a, a good series of questions. And so what I've found of the community is exactly what I hoped to find, and it's such an important part of the Lehigh experience today, as important as it was when I was a student. I, I mentioned I had good relationships, lifelong relationships with some of the faculty who taught me. I have friendships that have persisted and remained strong from the time I was a student. And that small, close-knit sense of place and sense of community that was so important to me as a student, I was hoping that that would still be a characteristic of Lehigh today. It was good to have the opportunity to ask students that question in group settings and also individually in structured conversations and in unguarded moments, how they found themselves coming to Lehigh, what it was that they liked about Lehigh, and what kind of interactions they had with other members of the community. And, and I heard 201 from our students that finding that community, being part of the Lehigh community, and having those relationships with individual press professors were an incredible part, an incredibly important part of their experience. So the community has certainly changed since the time I was a student. It is more diverse on every dimension imaginable. I think that's a tremendously exciting thing to see in the Lehigh community and to hear from members of all groups on campus that community is part of what defines their Lehigh experience. Would you share some initial thoughts on some other communities that I know are important to you, namely our alumni community and South Bethlehem uh, community? Well, I'm really looking forward to getting out on the road a bit more this spring semester and then through the rest of the year to have a chance to have these kinds of conversations with alumni. I've been fortunate to have some meetings with alumni locally and with a little bit of traveling I've been able to do very intentionally through the fall. I spent the first semester here in South Bethlehem because I thought it was so important for me to hear the voices of the students directly. Uh, when I arrived and to make that um, something that I focused on in the fall. But I'm really interested in hearing the stories of my fellow alums. What about Lehigh? What drew you to Lehigh? What about Lehigh changed you? What did you learn at Lehigh that you've carried with you your whole life? What's kept you connected to Lehigh? And how can you work with me and work with the leaders of this great university to help make this an even more transformative experience for the students who come? South Bethlehem is a vibrant, diverse, accessible community in ways that are so different. And it's really exciting to see how it's changed since the time I was a student. If you had told me in the 1980s that Bethlehem Steel would go out of business and that steel mill, that incredible facility would be transformed into a vibrant arts district and community center, that restaurants and coffee shops would emerge in South Bethlehem, that students would live in South Bethlehem in much larger numbers than they had when I was a student, and that there'd be a real partnership with the city in thinking about South Bethlehem and Lehigh and their intertwined future. Uh, I wouldn't have thought it was possible. It is has been tremendous to, to see and experience that 
firsthand as well. And I know that the mayors, the administration of the city of Bethlehem have had close working partnerships with Lehigh, the Lehigh leadership, and I'm looking forward to looking forward to continuing that with the new mayor. I think it's essential to us. And I love to eat. I love to see the diversity of restaurants in South Bethlehem. And the more, the better as far as I'm concerned. So anything we can do in partnership to help bring that about, I'm, I'm fully supportive of. I, I've heard several alums from your generation and, and before just marvel at South Bethlehem and, and, and to your point, they just, they never went to Third Street or, you know, they just, they, with, you know, with, uh, with almost no, no reason to go down there from, uh, from campus and the stories about cars being covered in, you know, uh, dust and, and it just, it really, having not seen it firsthand and, and, uh, only getting secondhand accounts from, from folks like you, it, it sounds like it's really transformed and, uh, and it's good for Lehigh. Oh, it's it's great for Lehigh. You know, I arrived in the summer in August this past year, and the first few weeks I'd be out running an errand, and I'd decide to walk back to campus taking a, a little bit of a roundabout route down 3rd Street or down 4th Street, and mm -hmm. to see the number of restaurants that had tables set up on the sidewalk and to see those tables filled at lunchtime or in the early evening and to see them filled with students and filled with students who were interested in stopping to chat with me. I just kept smiling and thinking how incredible this is and how fortunately high is to have South Bethlehem heading in this direction, transformed in this way, and still remaining affordable, diverse, accessible. It's, it's truly, uh, truly something to see. Let me switch to uh, Lehigh academics and some of our strengths. We've talked for some time about programs like the Integrated Business and Engineering Program, the Ideas Program, Computer Science and Business. And I, I, I know that you have identified these uh, interdisciplinary programs as an area of opportunity for Lehigh. Why did you choose those and what is the opportunity? I think it's worth stepping back just for a moment and, and looking at where the country's heading, where the world's heading, how the very nature of work is changing and how the way we interact with one another and conduct our lives, conduct our daily businesses is changing. Lehigh, as all members of the Lehigh community know, was founded over 150 years ago as a school emphasizing engineering to make what we call today technology accessible, available, and to educate the practitioners of technology of the day. But from the beginning, there was a commitment to do it not in isolation, but as we said in some of our founding materials, to do it in combination with the classics, to make sure that our engineers of the day were broadly educated, well educated and understood the context and communities that were going to be impacted by the work that they were doing. Here we are in the 21st century, and, and I've said publicly, and I'll say again, it is without question a century, century is being shaped and driven by technology in every aspect of our lives. This is a university that has a founding history in this area, incredibly strong programs, and an opportunity to acknowledge every student has the opportunity to benefit by some exposure to technology, regardless of their field of interest, in terms of being prepared to engage in the world of work when they graduate and being prepared to engage in, in, and be important contributors to their communities. How do you do that? You do that by lowering barriers to access curriculum from across the university and by giving students the opportunity to sample, explore, and learn. 
Lehigh's been doing this in a really quiet and thoughtful way for well over 20 years, going back to the time when Greg Farrington was president in the 90s. Lehigh developed some very forward-looking intercollege programs between engineering and business, between computer science and business, between engineering and the arts and sciences, designed to do exactly that, give students access to a broad range of intellectual content and to draw from arts and sciences, business, and engineering in preparing themselves to go out and contribute. I think there is tremendous opportunity for our students if we enable more students to access those programs, expand them and grow them, and we're committed to doing that. I think there's tremendous opportunity for Lehigh and for our students if we build new college programs, including with the new College of Health, that enable students to combine the fundamentals from different fields in pursuit of knowledge and in, with a goal of contributing to the major challenges we're facing in healthcare. And I think there's tremendous opportunity for Lehigh and for our students to remove barriers, create some new courses, so every student who comes here has the opportunity to draw from engineering, arts and sciences, and business. That's what I mean when I talk about removing barriers. That's what I'm focused on when I talk about the importance of interdisciplinarity. I think it is essential for our students to be contributors in a really important and thoughtful way the moment they walk out the door. Joe, you mentioned Greg Farrington as, as uh, organizing these, formally organizing these interdisciplinary programs. The elements of those have rung true at Lehigh for some time, even back when you were a student. What is it? What is the constant uh, uh, identifiers or components of a, of a Lehigh education that you feel are so important to what the world needs today? That's a good question, Joe. You know, there, there are a couple of things that I've observed. I, I think first, there's a, an applied focus to a lot of the work that we do here at Lehigh. And that's not true, of course, of every faculty member. It's not true of every question that a faculty member or a student conducting research raises. But by and large, it is far more prevalent here than at any other institution I have had the chance to get to know. It's asking questions about the problems that are facing the world today. And there's a pragmatic and determined focus to the work of our students and the work of our faculty, really asking how can our scholarship impact the world today? How can we make things better for this particular community today? How can this technology or this way of looking at the world of business make a difference today? And, and that's something I see across our entire campus. Of course, in engineering, of course, in business, our College of Health was founded in many ways with that premise. How can we help students identify the problems of today and develop solutions that'll have long-term impact? And I see it in arts and sciences. I see it in the College of Education as well. Education is a great example. They produce graduates who go on and take up faculty positions at other colleges and universities, but there's also a strong, pragmatic, practical element to their work, and they're proud of the fact that they graduate individuals who become leaders in their communities, leaders in their school systems, as principals, as superintendents, as leaders of entire systems. That's one of the things that's been true of Lehigh, certainly from the time I was a student, and it's really strong and I think distinguishing today. Joe, you've identified the interdisciplinary programs at the undergraduate level. Have you identified or thought about areas for graduate students where we can expand, improve, do better? What role do graduate students play in the pragmatic and practicality of the Lehigh education? 
I think we should be asking exactly the same questions about interdisciplinarity and even potentially intercollege programs at the graduate level. And here I mean including, and in some ways emphatically, the PhD programs, the same way we assess these opportunities, develop these opportunities, ask these questions for our undergraduate students. Some of the meetings I've had so far with our graduate student leaders, I've asked the question, how much do you have an opportunity to draw from knowledge, content, uh, curricula in different departments in different schools? And the answer, not surprisingly, is not a lot. That's true of virtually every graduate program, certainly every PhD program in any department, school, or college in this country. But what if we could break down some of those barriers? What if we could give PhD students in education opportunity to draw from some of the content in engineering or business and vice versa? Arts and sciences students the same. What if we could give students the opportunity to think about developing schools in, in skills in innovation and entrepreneurship, skills in leadership, skills in communicating with a general audience, with a non-specialist audience about the importance of the particulars in your field? I think those kinds of things not only would be distinguishing and distinctive for Lehigh, but I think it would be tremendously beneficial to the students. I think, quite honestly, it is a direction that PhD education nationally needs to move in. One could define your career as um, interdisciplinary as well. When you think about your own background from the academy to your hiatus in D.C., which we'll talk about in a moment, to your transition to administration, uh, mm -hmm. dean and then provost and then and then president. So I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about your, your path to uh, president of Lehigh. I uh, speak for myself. I'm most interested in hearing about the time you spent in Washington, D.C., outside of the academy, right? And what did you do in D.C.? And, mm -hmm. and how did that shape you coming back into uh, uh, higher ed? It's So the short answer is the experience in D.C. had a tremendous impact on me in terms of how I approach my work and how I think about the world. I actually went to D.C. twice. The first time I went to D.C. was earlier in my career when I was working in the private sector. So it was well before I had become an academic. And I had an opportunity supported by AAAS, the American Association for the Advancement of Science. They've had a program since the 1970s that brings Ph.D. level scientists and engineers to Washington to work in the federal policy uh, realm to both learn and contribute scientific and technical expertise. I convinced my employer to give me a three-month leave of absence supported by AAAS so I could work at the EPA. And I wanted to do that because my work was focusing on the application of engineering to address environmental problems. And I knew that ultimately to make progress in the environmental realm often took the development of science-informed policy that would set the ground rules and expectations for what industry of any sort needed to meet and what communities needed to do to help promote and sustain a, a healthy and uh, clean environment. And so I spent three months in the EPA and it became abundantly clear to me that these were incredibly complex, challenging problems, needed science and policymakers, scientists and policymakers working together. And I left there determined to come back if I ever had the opportunity to do so again and do so on the legislative side where the laws were being written, where the policies were being drafted that was affecting all the work I was doing on the technical side. Ten years later, I had the opportunity, again supported by AAAS, to, to do that again, to return to Washington. And that time, very intentionally, I worked on Capitol Hill, focused on environment and technology policy issues. 
it was a group of committed individuals determined to try and find the best solution to challenging problems, driven by perspectives that align with their ideology, but truly trying to find common ground. And I also learned a lot about communicating complex information to a broad range of audiences. That's perhaps the most valuable lesson I learned. It really was a, a, a tremendously eye-opening experience. And did you go to Dartmouth from the second DC trip, or what was the what was the cadence of uh, of stops? I I did go to Dartmouth from Washington DC, and so when I I was working in the private sector when I went to the EPA, when I went to Washington in the policy establishment the first time, returned to that job. But a few years later, an opportunity to change directions and become an academic at the University of Connecticut opened up. And so I moved there, took that position. I was there for 10 years and I was on sabbatical uh, leave from Connecticut when I went to Washington, fully intending to return. But the Dartmouth opportunity developed when I was there and Connecticut and Dartmouth were able to work it out so that I was able to take the position at Dartmouth at the end of that year. And did you take that position at Dartmouth at that time with higher ed administrative thoughts or, or pursuits in mind? Yes, in that it was very specifically the opportunity to be the dean. Right. So I had been... Uh, I left the private sector and became an academic in part because I really wanted to focus on being in the laboratory and in the classroom and working with students directly. I'd been managing a group for my private sector employer and I decided that I was not interested in being a manager and an administrator, that I wanted to work one-on-one -on -one in the lab with, and with students, students. and do research. Yeah. And so I went to the University of Connecticut. I started teaching and uh, within a year... I was asked to take on an administrative position, and so I ended up overseeing the graduate programs in the chemical engineering department. A few years later, I was asked to become the chair of my department, and that's not emphatically not why I became an academic, but I decided at that moment that I had some, uh, I had an interest in seeing the department and our programs move in a certain direction. And it was an interest that was shared by many of my colleagues. They were asking me to take, take on this responsibility. And I thought I could potentially help make this happen for the department. It's not the direction I intended to go, but this is an important work and an important challenge. And I said, yes. And so I did that for a period of five years. When I was given the opportunity to move to, depart to Dartmouth, that was very specifically to be the, the dean of the engineering school. And so it was an administrative move. And at that point, I knew my career was moving in a different direction, quite clearly towards administration. administration. And, and thinking about that, you know, being successful uh, and, and good at working with students or, or a successful researcher, you know, does not make a good leader. Uh, but, but someone along the way or multiple people saw leadership skills and ability to tap you on the shoulder and ask you to, to do more. So you obviously have some innate ability in, in, the, in the leadership realm, but what have you, how do you think about leadership? What, what is it that you would, how would you define your leadership style? Do you actively work at it? Have you mostly leaned into your innate skills? It's, it's a different skill set than being an environmental scientist. It is a different skill set, and yet there are certainly transferable skills. And so you the answers to the questions you asked are yes, 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 and yes. I had been given opportunities to be in leadership positions before at earlier stages in my life, going all the way back to high school. I never really thought of them as leadership positions. Even being department chair, I will say, I didn't think of that as a leadership position so much as trying to find ways to find common ground and help us collectively achieve 
our goals, to aspire to be more than we were individually or more than we were collectively at that point in time and move in that direction. So what does that mean? It means asking thoughtful questions. It means being open to a range of perspectives and sometimes conflicting ideas. It means truly listening to, truly hearing people and understanding what their aspirations are and then working to find common ground. So to me, leadership is helping identify and define shared aspirations and goals and empowering the people who work with you to play their role in bringing their group, their unit, their their uh, school, college department forward uh, in a way that's aligned with those goals and helps make the whole much, much greater than the, the sum of the parts. I know um, in, in talking to you that you have found um, some comfort in connecting with some of the faculty members that were here when you were here as as an undergraduate. You, you recanted uh, one of your first uh, faculty meetings. And I know you sought out Professor Professor Stein, mm-hmm. uh, who who was uh, who was uh, instrumental on you as a, as a young person. Um, surprises from any of those interactions or engagements with some of the folks who who have been here and and spent a, a career at Lehigh. You know, in a in a really positive way, I'd say it was surprising and wonderful to see how little they changed. Yeah, <laughs> um, I had the chance to have lunch with Fred Stein recently, who retired some twenty years ago, but was my undergraduate advisor uh, throughout my time as a Lehigh chemical engineering student and taught thermodynamics, among other courses that I took, and gave me the first opportunity to to teach, to be a teaching assistant, to in fact lead a couple of classes with him sitting supportively in the the back of the room when I was a senior. And that was really an eye-opening experience for me. He saw something in me that I didn't see in myself at that point in time. And he looked exactly the same, thin, fit, crew cut, exactly as he was 30, 40, 50, I suspect even 60 years ago. Um, and very thoughtful in thinking about engineering and the role of engineering and chemical engineering in in the community and society. And uh, Bill Leiben, who is still active and still teaching our students uh, on the faculty today, I had the chance to have lunch with him recently as well and remind him that the very first exam I took as a chemical engineering student was for a course that he taught. It was the mass and energy balance course that's still the first class in chemical engineering to this day. And the average on that exam was, in fact, the one I mentioned earlier in the low 20s. And uh, it's something you remember many, many years later. Each of them found a way to to challenge me and my classmates and engage us in just the right way. Those are lessons you never forget. Back to your inauguration, Joe, that was a um, fun-filled weekend of uh, lots of uh, emotion, some fun weather mixed in over that weekend. But um, there there was a, a... a moment where I saw some surprise on your faces when you were being welcomed home by one of our students during the uh, during the ceremony. Could you talk a little bit about that experience on the stage and and what uh, what that meant to you? That was a that was a tremendously moving moment for me personally. Several members of the community had said to me very deliberately and intentionally, "Welcome home." after I arrived in August. And that's not something I had thought about. It's not something I was expecting at all. And for that to happen in that moment on the stage during my inauguration with the sign saying, welcome home, President Helbley, caught me completely by surprise. And I think it just in that moment for me summed up what's so special about the Lehigh community. 
And I can attest that that sign uh, hangs in your office today. That sign hangs proudly in my office today. That sign will be with me forever. Go-Getters is honored to highlight Lehigh women who are making an impact during Soaring Together, a celebration of 50 years of co-education. Soaring Together includes events, projects, and programs like this podcast, led by students, faculty, and staff from all areas of the university. The celebration shines a light on women's accomplishments and the strength and pride they bring to our community and our world. To hear their stories and join the celebration, visit lehigh.edu slash soaringtogether. Joe, I think that everyone who even knows a little bit about you knows that you are a runner. So I'd like to, to transition to some of your personal interests, if, if if that's okay. Um, during your inauguration, we had a, a 5K Pace the Prez event. We're going to continue to do that as, as we visit some alumni and, and here on campus. But could you could you tell us about running? You know, why do you run, and what does it do for you? It is such a part of your identity. Yeah, it it is. It's a hugely important part of my life, and I, and it is a part of my identity. It's something I've been doing since I was in high school. It, I like being in shape. I like being able to move fast. I like challenging myself, even at this age, in new ways to run long distances. And I like I like the social aspect of it. I really enjoy running with other people. For me, it's another way to be part of the community. And I also like the time it gives me for reflection. Some of my best ideas have come while I've been out on a long run by myself on a weekend, just thinking about the state of the world and the state of the campus and the kinds of things I'd like to see us do. You competed this summer in the Boston Marathon. Was there any point where you, uh, during during the race, where you, you just kind of said, what, what am I doing here? <laughs> Without question. Absolutely. It's, friends have asked me how the Boston Marathon went, and I've said the first 24 miles were great. At mile 24, I discovered why medical volunteers are along the side of the course and what the medical tents are for. I, I cramped really, really badly in a way I never have in my life at mile 24. And at that moment, I remember thinking, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why did I listen to my oldest daughter who first put the idea of running a marathon in my mind in the first place four or five years earlier? But uh, even as I was thinking those thoughts, I kind of chuckled and said, yeah, you you asked for this. You chose to be here. The Boston Marathon something I thought about since I was a graduate student at MIT. I'd watched it many times. I had always thought it'd be wonderful to have the chance to run it. Even though the time wasn't what I wanted it to be, even though I ended up having to walk part of it and visit the medical tent, as I ran across the finish line, my calves still cramping, I remember thinking, this is this is pretty special. This yeah. is pretty sweet. I know you've done some miles with uh, Lehigh's cross-country team. How, how how does your fast compare to theirs? Were you able to uh, represent? Uh, we're, we're not even in the same conversation. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. they are, I, do, I do all right. I asked them if they've heard of the concept of age grading. Yes. Age grading <laughs> is what you do in, in races when there's an age-adjusted time. Yes. It's like a golfing handicap. Yes. And, of course, they pay no attention to that. I'm far more interested in discussing our age-graded times and how we stack up against one another. But on an absolute basis, it, it's... It's not even the same sport. Yeah. Were, were you uh, surprised that uh, students were uh, seeking you out to run, showing up at 530? That was your deal, right? I'll run with you, but you better be ready to go at 530. Yeah, I, I was pleased that students were, were willing to run with me at 530. 
I am going to make an adjustment this semester. We're going to adjust the starting time to 6.30 a.m. We're going to limit the distance to four miles because I discovered even running with our student athletes at 5.30 a.m., an eight-mile run where the president's expecting you to be conversant the entire time is probably not the first thing that comes to mind when those students are going to bed the night before. So I'm hoping a slightly later start, shorter distance, and a commitment to keeping the pace conversational will encourage more students. And by the way, faculty and staff, you too are welcome, yes. Joe, more people to come out and join and, me. And, and I, I won't go into the details of how much uh, how you needed to be coerced to change the time to 6.30 by uh, <laughs> by folks in the administration, president company, present company included. So uh, no, that's because we're going to do it on the road too when we're uh, after alumni events, I'll say to our alumni out there, please look for our all alumni events or meet the president events. And we're going to have a run either, you know, the day before, day of, day after, sometime around that trip to some of our, uh, you know, larger, larger cities. And I know you look forward to running with our alumni as well. Yeah, I'm really pleased that we're able to do that. We're going to give it a try. And I really do hope alumni will, will show up and join us. It's just a great chance for me to hear their stories, get to know them a little bit better, a little bit differently, and to have some fun and some exercise at the same time. You, you said earlier when we were talking about South Ethland that you like to eat. Uh, I also know you like to cook. Um, what part of the brain does uh, cooking stimulate for you? And, and is that is that grounded uh, in your Italian-American heritage? Have you branched out in terms of your cooking interests and expertise? But uh, where, where how, how does that fit into uh, who is Joe Helbley? Huh. You know, I, I like to think and I say that I've branched out in my expertise that the cooking I do is not all Italian or Italian influence American. I think my wife and children would disagree. <laughs> um, and it, the, the love of cooking comes truly from my love of eating. And quite honestly, it started I, – I met my wife in graduate school and we were both graduate students. We were living on graduate student stipends. We had loans from our undergraduate education. We did not have the money to go out to eat. We did not have a lot of money to go out, but we discovered that we enjoyed cooking for one another. And so that's really where it all began to take off. And I knew that I could make things at home that I couldn't afford in a restaurant. And so that was an incentive to, to get better and to have my skills develop. For, you know, my, my wife and I have three children and Getting together around the dinner table, having family dinners together was just such an important part of of each of our lives. My wife and I, when we were, in, were young and our children's upbringing, just uh, centering that dinner time and to be able to contribute to it, to cook, not just at the grill on the weekends, but to be able to make weekday meals and do something creative is just a really important part of how I connect with my family is as well. So it remains hugely important to me. And you get to tinker, you get to experiment. And maybe part of this was the engineer who's got to follow rigid design guidelines and yes. designing a plant or a process, right? There's not a lot of room for creativity in that structure. This was an opportunity for me to be creative, to think outside the box, to bend or break the rules, to have an idea just inspired by what's in front of me in the kitchen and to put it together. And then you start doing that and realize I actually can make this work. That's a lot of the fun of it. And the best part is you get to eat the result of the experiment at the end of the day. That's the, I, I was, you, you, answer, I was going to ask you a follow up about being kind of risk averse or risk tolerant cooking, but, uh, you beat me to it. It sounds like you do, uh, stretch yourself in that, uh, in, in that space. I try. I'm always looking for new takes on yeah. old recipes or new ways to, to try preparing something that I've prepared before or just tinkering. I mean, I, I use cookbooks a lot. But there are also a lot of times that I don't. And just having a feel for what I'm doing is a lot of the fun. 
You you mentioned your your children's critical review. I'm going to ask you about your mom. Have you cooked for your mom? And what is her critical review of your cooking? <laughs> she is a very good Italian American mother, and so anything her children do, she is fully supportive of. And so I think my mother would say, "Mom, if you're listening, I hope you'll agree with me that I'm a good cook." Good, Joe. Thanks for for being with us. We're, we have one uh, final question that we like to ask all of our all of our go getters. Uh, it's not an original question. I, I can't take ownership of it, but uh, but the answers we get uh, are are um, amazing, and they and they run the spectrum. And the, and the question is this, Joe Helbley, is there anything you know for sure? That's a really good question. Yes, actually. I know who I am and I know what's important to me. I know what my values are. That I know for sure. If you're asking me about the world, how it's going to be tomorrow, if you're asking me about the direction of our campus, I'm optimistic and I'm aspirational, but honestly, do I know for sure? No, and that's part of the excitement and the challenge of the, the role that I have, the tremendous privilege that I've been given to, to serve in this role as Lehigh's president. Ladies and gentlemen, Lehigh's 15th resident, Joe Helbley. Joe, thanks for being with us today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Joe. I enjoyed it. This has been Go-Getters, a podcast from Lehigh University, hosted by Joe Buck, Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations. I'm Kade Hilton Frazel, a Fulbright student from Jamaica and a doctoral candidate in the College of Education. I was honored to be part of the inauguration ceremony to welcome President Helbley back to Lehigh University. And as I anticipate my own foray away from Lehigh, I will remember fondly how much of a welcoming and supportive space this has been for me. Special thanks to producer Janet Norwood, media production specialist Jared Brown, and the Lehigh University Office of Development and Alumni Relations. Go inside the episode at lehigh.edu slash gogetters to learn more about President Helbley. Don't forget to subscribe to Go-Getters on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. And take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so other listeners can find us.